the model of medicine where you base treatment on, of patients on statistics and epidemiology, what works for most people, we felt like we can do better as a, as a society and as a group of physicians. And that's what took us down the route of creating wild health and really focusing on precision medicine. And that was the aha moment, too, because you take two guys who are extremely similar. We're in the same residency. We're working the same job. We're eating almost the same food. We're doing this exercising together, right? I mean, obviously, one of us is you know, way smarter and better looking. But, <laughs> but other than that, we're really, really the same. Really similar. And, um, <laughs> and then, you know, what we realized is, like, you know, we're not really the same. Yeah. And looking at our genome really forced us to realize these, like, glaring differences that were easily applicable and easily tested just through like some consumer testing that just opened the door for really personalizing our lives. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. In this episode, I sit down with Dr. Matt Dawson and Dr. Mike Mallon, who are the co-founders of Wild Health, a genomics-based precision medicine practice, as well as co-hosts of the Wild Health podcast. Dr. Dawson attended the University of Kentucky College of Medicine, and Dr. Mallon attended the University of South Carolina School of Medicine. They then met during their emergency medicine residency in Salt Lake City, Utah, where they bonded over their lifelong passions for optimizing performance. And together, since then, they've gone on to grow several businesses, create apps, and author two textbooks. But most recently, they founded Wild Health, which utilizes a team of medical professionals to look at an individual's unique genetics, lab results, microbiome, and lifestyle factors in order to craft a precision treatment plan that fits their health, fitness, and longevity goals. Currently, Dr. Dawson is practicing in Lexington, Kentucky, and Dr. Mallon practices in Bend, Oregon. Last week, you may have heard a talk that I did at a conference they held in Lexington in September. I've really enjoyed getting to know Matt, Mike, and the rest of the Wild Health team over the past few months. And as I think you'll gather from this episode, we share a very similar vision for the future of medicine and healthcare. Here we talk about how they became interested in genomics and personalized medicine, a tool they've developed, and how using an objective health score can motivate patients to make lifestyle changes, as well as the processes they're implementing now to change the future of medicine. Before we dive into the episode, we do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. So with that, let's get started. Thank you guys for having me in your brand new podcast studio. <laughs> Thanks for trying out for us. This is the first podcast we've ever recorded in a video studio. So. That is a huge honor. I'll take it. But I'm super excited to chat with you guys because I've been on your podcast, but I'm really excited for my audience to get to know both of you a little bit better in everything you're doing with Wild Health. So maybe we could start with just your background, even like before med school in terms of health and fitness and then why you decided to go into medicine. Yeah, so um, before med school, uh, I was really into science and medicine. I always knew I wanted to be a doctor, um, but I had a lot more fun playing sports. I played a couple of sports in college, played everything in high school, wasn't very good at anything. Uh, played a couple of sports in college, realized I wasn't good at those either, and stopped and started focusing on medicine. But that experience playing sports really um, led me at least to be somewhat obsessed with 
uh, how to get the most out of my body that I could. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of talent, so I had to really <laughs> kind of hack my way through. But and you said you played two sports in college, so you must have had some talent. I was on the teams, <laughs> I should say. What so, what sports were they? I played soccer and tennis. And okay. uh, yeah, I was on the teams, but uh, I really wasn't that good at all. I mean, I was a goalkeeper. And I'm like five foot ten. And so that really I saw you out. your goalkeeping skills the other night with uh, Will, who oh. is I don't know how old he is thirteen. I was going to say playing against, against the thirteen. <laughs> he did old, score yeah. a few times on you. <laughs> he, he did. You didn't have to bring that up. You could have just said you saw us playing, not that I got scored on by thirteen year old. Yeah, thanks specifically. <laughs> but it's been a while. You said it's been a long time. <laughs> sure, thanks. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> I did hit the ground, and I'm like as old as I am. I felt like that was a That's feat. True. I hit that the ground. Is... I got back up. Were you sore the next day? <laughs> I wasn't sore. We, he just shot a few. I gave up okay. pretty quick against him too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So because of being so into sports, you were always trying to kind of hack your way into having better performance any way you could. Yeah. And that's uh, when Mike and I met intern year in residency. That's, I think, how we bonded as okay. well. Um, we would go on these long bike rides up Little Cottonwood and Big Cottonwood Can- Canyon in Salt Lake City. Okay. and. uh really kind of pushing each other and then figuring out how to do that better and better over time. And how did you, what was your background? Before? Most of I played, I played sports too. I was okay. in the international Ben and Jerry's eating contest. Oh, nice. <laughs> what was your favorite flavor? In a, in a Papa John's eating contest. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, actually, so it was, it was sports and, per, and performance and fitness that got me into medicine actually. Okay. Um, but it was coming from kind of a different area in that I was fairly unfit most of my childhood mm-hmm. um, until about 21 or so. So like right at the end of college is mm-hmm. when I kind of got into health in okay. general, just like, what is this like learn how to eat thing or like exercise? <laughs> so I really dove into that and then that experience and what I learned about biochemistry and sort of like how we metabolize different types of foods. That's what really made me realize that I, that I wanted to go into medicine in the first place. So it was, it was, you know, sports performance and fitness and, and mm-hmm. diet metabolism that really took me on my journey to medicine in the first place. Wow. And Mike and I in, uh, in residency, really, when I say bonded over uh, kind of doing athletics and sports, um, CrossFit was just coming out mm-hmm. at that time. And we went to um, some really good CrossFit boxes in Salt Lake City. And then mm-hmm. there's a program called Jim Jones. There's a gym in Salt Lake City there as well. Mm-hmm. And we were really into their workouts. Uh, and we went into emergency medicine. And I think the re- one of the reasons why is because we did enjoy so many other pursuits. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of medicine, you don't have much time for anything else. And emergency mm-hmm. medicine afforded us the ability to come in and work pretty intensely mm-hmm. in the ER for a set period of time. And then we could go and do ridiculous CrossFit workouts or big <laughs> rides or whatever else we wanted to do. Yeah. I've noticed that as a trend, actually. I think just in my own experience in med school and residency, I felt like rotating in the ERs and also in like ICU settings where it's also shift work usually there seemed to be a lot more CrossFitters there, whether it was like the doctors, the nurses, whoever, and because it attracts people who really like intensity too, I think. And you want time to work out, right? And you don't get time to work out (laughs) if you're working, you know, from from 7 a.m. in the morning until 7 p.m. at night. So definitely have, you definitely sort of uh, find those people um, moving to those areas where they're working shifts Mm -hmm. and and getting the opportunity to take care of their health because they recognize the importance um, of their health. Mm -hmm. So, once you guys met, or I don't know, is there any good story of how you guys met in residency and some of the crazy, I'm sure there's a lot of crazy stories of things yeah. that you did for biohacking while you were in residency. In our residency, it was a pretty outdoorsy and kind of intense group. Mm-hmm. In emergency medicine, Utah is a very competitive residency and the people that tend to go there are people who like extreme sports and the mountain biking mm-hmm. and skiing and 
Um, every year we would do a retreat, the residency would, and we went to some crazy place in the mountains of Wyoming with crazy mountain biking. And that I still awesome. remember when I met Mike there, I met all the other residents, a lot of really cool folks. <laughs> Mike's shaking his head. And <laughs> like, where's he? At first I was like, where's he going with this? And now I know exactly where he's going. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, uh, I immediately was like, oh, this is cool. This guy's cool. This one, this, these are people who are incredible. And then I met Mike. He's like, yeah, I'm not really going to hang out with that guy very much. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then now we've like, been working together for over a decade and we're yeah. good enough friends, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we had some fun experiences though. Um, like, so there was, you know, doing the Jim Jones uh, workouts and the 24-hour fitness there, which was super fun mm-hmm. and entertaining for all the people watching us, I'm sure. Um, we didn't always get kicked out yeah. either. Like no, sometimes was, we could finish our workout. A few times. Times. That was a good day if you three could finish or, three the workout. Or four, yeah. <laughs> and then we did some we did some stupid stuff too like you know Matt did a Matt did a uh, an, an Ironman obviously like right after having a baby well he did one right at the beginning of residency which I thought was amazing and then mm-hmm. and then he had a baby and he was like you know what now's a good time to do an Ironman again <laughs> so we used to go and like go on all these all these long runs and bike rides like while he was training for his Ironman mm-hmm. and um, and then I remember one time when I went and I, I sort of helped him run an ultra marathon up at Snowbird which oh, is this wow. It's this 50K that goes up and down Snowbird, which is a ski resort, like multiple times. So it's like 11,000 feet of vertical climbing. I thought it was 14,000, but okay. <laughs> I think it was 11, but I'll, I'll give you a few extra. And, um, you know, we're, we're in residency at this point. I think we're maybe second year or something like that. So we understand some physiology. We know we yeah. have some medical knowledge at this point. And there was one point when he was like, man, my chest hurts. <laughs> well, oh, no. So, so the... So the 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 problem was we we took off on this race. It's a fifty k race up and down the mountain, and there was um, a surgery resident who's running it too, mm-hmm. and she was super fit. Like I didn't know this, and so she took off, and I was like, "Well, I'll just stay with her," and I could not stay with her, and so she I went into the pain cave pretty quickly. Yeah, and I had about. 10k left and i got a text from mike said how are you doing i thought he was making fun of me so i like responded very like angrily at him and then he showed up like around the bend i was like oh he was being nice (laughs) he actually cares (laughs) and it was the last climb and i was so dehydrated and i was so dead and i would get chest pain and my left arm would go numb and i felt like i was going to pass out and i would sit down until i no longer felt like i was going to pass out and then i would get up again and repeat that Oh, and I, I think at one point, Mike, I checked his, I checked his pulse and his pulse would disappear with respiration. Oh, so he was my. so hypovolemic basically that you just couldn't even feel a radial pulse oh, um, with, with, with respiration. It was pretty impressive. So somehow we survived <laughs> residency in these things uh, and uh, we're still alive. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a good one. And I'd heard about your other, um, I think the, was it the, the second Ironman, that story too, which also sounded like not the best well, I think every race I've ever done, it's not really, it's, it's kind of like a painful story, like of survival and yeah, yeah just getting to the finish line. I, I think, so I know, I didn't know what you meant, meant at first, but I think, um, so that race, I did not train at all. Uh, someone convinced me to do it and uh, I, I trained, but not enough. And you had a small the, child at home. <laughs> the marathon was a two loop uh, and I would decide I was going to quit after the first loop. But I was so delirious when I got to the line, uh-huh. I just kept going. And then someone <laughs> forgot to give up. <laughs> yeah, I forgot Shoot. to give up. <laughs> and, and someone found me kind of uh, staggering and stumbling oh and gave me some broth, some, bo- some like broth with a ton of salt and sodium. Mm-hmm. And I like perked up and finished. But I think I was just so um, hyponatremic. Yeah. From, I didn't also didn't plan well there for nutrition and I, I didn't mm-hmm. bring any of my own. And I was just drinking water and goose because I was nauseated from everything else. Mm-hmm. And I just got really hyponatremic. So, so you we, just had all these firsthand experiences for now, how you can help we know patients exactly when what they're to kill people not to do, <laughs> yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah, it's good. It's research. A lot of biohacking and experimentation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so 
Can you talk more about some of the biohacking stuff that you guys did, like in terms of nutrition or some of the different things that you tried early on? Yeah, I think biohacking wasn't really even a term then. So we basically just experimented a lot. We, um, uh, Mike uh, has a chemical engineering background and is really good with that kind of physiology and pathophysiology in general. So we would just kind of come up with different experiments, different types of nutrition, and different types of workout regimens and see how our body responded. And I mm-hmm. think that's where we very first kind of got a glimpse into started thinking about personalized medicine. Mm-hmm. Like we just responded very differently to different foods, mm-hmm. to different workouts. And we would do the exact same things, but just respond differently to it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we thought that was really just, that's we just going to be experimentation. Mm-hmm. That's how you did it. Yeah. And then fast forward almost a decade later, now we're in precision medicine and we're actually sequencing people's DNA and trying to get a little further upstream and help people figure out without having to do all the things. (laughs) Can you give an example of one of the experiments that you did early on in terms of like doing the same workout or eating the same way and then how you responded differently? Yeah, we did um, uh, ketones. So ketosis, Mm -hmm. ketogenic diet. Um, And this was like a long, not a long time ago, but it was before everyone was doing ketogenic diet, correct? Uh, well, I mean, it was after Adkins, which was what, like the nineties, but it was, I think it was before it was really like yeah. biohacker. Like, I think it's only been the last few exciting. years that I feel like everyone some has studies tried. Like the Jeff Bolick study and some mm-hmm. of those uh, studies had, had came out, but not many people were doing it. Like we were hearing about some people on the tour and others using mm-hmm. ketones. Mm-hmm. So we were experimenting with them quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, we were interested in, you know, in general health mm-hmm. performance, right? You know, how do you feel on it? And then, you know, also we're a bit competitive too. So we started this Excel sheet that we shared with one another mm-hmm. to like see who could get the lowest number of carbohydrates per day. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was like a little little competition going on between us, but basically like who could, was it get the strongest? I think it was like an algorithm between like <laughs> your deadlift and number of carbohydrates. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> what it was. It was deadlift, I believe. So anyway, we were basically seeing who could get the, the lowest number of carbohydrates. And mm-hmm. I think you actually won if I remember correctly, but if the, if we had, I lied on the sheet. If we had, yeah, I'm sure you lied, but, but if we had flipped it and to see who could get the highest LDL, I would have totally blown you out of the water. <laughs> That's true. I can never compete with your LDL. I, mean, I thought you were going to tell a story about the ketones where we did. So at one point we did, uh, one thing we noticed in our experimentation is Mike's ketones would get much higher than mine would. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know if we were doing things differently or what. And we had an idea that maybe was related to metabolism and genomics. Mm-hmm. Like he has a PPAR alpha, PPAR gamma, more FTO SNPs mm-hmm. than I do. And, and so you know we, that at the time? or like so you at, the, had... at the time, we'd started seeing this. Okay. So we had a little bit of a hypothesis, but no one was doing this. Mm-hmm. And so we took a 48-hour period where we did everything exactly the same, ate the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Like we went out to a couple restaurants, we'd order the same thing and split it in half. Mm-hmm. And then we did a, a really intense workout, but beforehand taking ketones, mm-hmm. like some exogenous 30 grams of ketones, and then finger pricking like every, I think, five minutes to see the curves mm-hmm. of how our ketones went and our metabolism of it. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting. Our hypothesis, we think uh, the result was the, was correct. The exact mechanism, who knows if we're truly right. But it turns out that I metabolize ketones much more quickly mm-hmm. than Mike does. So his levels go higher than mine do, it's, but it's because my body is probably using them more mm-hmm. as fuel. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting experiment pretty early on. Yeah, That's you can see Matt's, like, we graphed it out and mm-hmm. we checked our blood sugar as well too mm-hmm. to see how our blood sugar responded to the ketones. And my ketones basically went up and stayed and plateaued off despite the workout. And Matt mm-hmm. like sp- spiked up and then dropped way back down 
basically signifying that he's yeah. utilizing ketones a lot faster than I am, which makes sense given the genetics and probably also why I don't tolerate the ketogenic diet as well. Why I had the, what I referred to, the mm -hmm. significant elevation in cholesterol, which mm -hmm. I think was really the, the impetus for us to realize that there was this, this potential for precision medicine mm -hmm. in this field. Yeah, when we, when we first, uh, when Mike first got his really high lipid levels, we uh, immediately started thinking about how to fix this with diet. I mean, mm -hmm. at the time we were in our early 30s and he shouldn't have these lipids like this. And he went on a ketogenic diet. If you look at the meta-analyses, 85% of people will respond favorably, mm -hmm. um, but he got worse. Mm -hmm. So he was at that 15%. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, his doctor actually started him on a statin. Mm -hmm which we were a little worried about being that age, the yeah. myopathy muscle breakdown, and, and he got that. Mm. And right around that time was when we also started seeing the data and the science around genomics, and maybe you can do a personalized diet. Mm -hmm. And when we looked at Mike's genetics, he had all these SNPs, these single nucleotide polymorphisms that made him more sensitive to saturated fat. And he also had a SNP that made him almost guaranteed to get muscle breakdown of myopathy mm. from a statin. And we were kind of a little irritated and angry, like, why did his doctor not know this? Yeah. But then we realized, no one knows it. No one is practicing mm -hmm. this way. And that's what sent us down really the rabbit hole of, of saying, look, the science is there. We need to really push this forward and we need to learn it ourselves and start practicing this way. We don't, the model of medicine where you base treatment on, of patients on statistics and epidemiology, what works for most people, we felt like we can do better mm -hmm. as, a, as a society and as a group of physicians. Mm -hmm. And that's what took us down the route of creating wild health and really focusing on precision medicine. Yeah. And, and that was the aha moment too, because it's, you take two guys who are extremely similar that are in the same residency, we're working the same job, we're eating almost the same food, we're doing this exercising together, mm -hmm. right? I mean, obviously one of us is, you know, way smarter and better looking, but, <laughs> but other than that, we're really, really the same. Really similar. And, um, <laughs> and, and you know, what we realized is like, you know, we're not really the same yeah. and, and looking our, looking at our genome really forced us to realize these like glaring differences that were mm -hmm. easily applicable and easily tested mm -hmm. just through like some consumer testing um, that just opened the door for really personalizing our lives. And for, for me, I, I actually happened to be on the diet that I responded pretty well to, but when it come, came to workouts, mm -hmm. like I had been doing Ironman endurance things, I enjoyed those, um, but I was always so sore. Like I couldn't, I remember I couldn't put my socks on without sitting down in the morning, like mm -hmm. just the back pain and soreness. And, and when I looked at my SNPs for recovery, I need more recovery time. I was just beating myself up. And mm -hmm. so when I really cut back significantly on my volume, my performance went way up. Mm -hmm. So th that's what really brought it home for me, seeing Mike's response to diet and how we could personalize that and then how I needed to really pay attention to who I was and not try to do these ultra-long endurance events if I'm not really made for that. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about just this this realization, what, what actually personalized medicine means or what, you know, genomics-based medicine means for people listening in terms of what we know and where the science is, because I think it's very different from what you would get in a conventional system. Like I know in, in my residency, very few times would we ever order genetic testing for, for most things, but you guys start with genetic testing for everyone. We do. We, we, we want to guess less, I guess. Mm -hmm. like, like normally if you go in and see your physician, you got a problem, they'll give you recommendations based on, like I said, what works well for most people, mm -hmm. statistics and epidemiology. When we have a study that comes out in medicine and says this works, it means it works for 60% of people, or maybe 80 or maybe 90, but not everyone. So we want to start from a different base. So every patient we see, we sequence their DNA, 
look at all those single nucleotide polymorphisms, the thing that give you, gives you different advantages and disadvantages. Mm-hmm. And that's important. That's kind of like your human operating system. Of course, how you turn on and off those good and bad genes every day is going to affect your health. So the, the, the DNA is only about 20% of your health outcome. Mm-hmm. So how you've lived your life, if you're working out, what you're eating, what you're exposed to is going to affect your outcome with the DNA coupled. Mm-hmm. So we take the DNA and that's your maybe potential, but where are you right now? So we also do a really deep dive on your blood work and see where you're deficient, what your lipids are, what your vitamins and nutrients, all these things are your hormones, all the things that affect performance. Mm-hmm. And then we also look at microbiome. That's a that's a underappreciated area. People know are starting to talk about that a lot more now. I know that's mm-hmm. important. And we take all of those components and then we layer on top of that probably the most important thing, which is a long conversation with someone about what their goals are, how they feel, how they're performing subjectively, mm-hmm. and combining all of that, then we can make recommendations. Mm-hmm. So what is the perfect diet for you? What is the perfect workout program for you? Because with diet, mm-hmm. like we can know looking at Mike's genetics that um, maybe he has a PEMT polymorphism and he needs more choline and he's not methylating great. Well, then we can look at the blood test. What is his homocysteine level? Is he, is he already covering up mm-hmm. that genetic problem with his diet mm-hmm. or not? If he has a VDR snip and needs more vitamin D, well, what is his vitamin D level? He may be genetically predisposed to be low in vitamin D, but if he's living in Florida and it's the summer, he may be fine. If he's in Alaska, he's probably not going to be. Mm-hmm. So we can also tailor how much vitamin D does someone eat based on those components as well. But combining those things to say, these are superfoods for you. They're really going to help kind of offset some of the genetic um, disadvantages you have. Mm-hmm. These are kryptonite foods for you mm-hmm. that really are not going to match with you. And then the exercise program as well. Exercising is mainly going to be based on your goals and just kind of regular baseline sports physiology and science. But we can tweak it a little bit based on genetics to get a better outcome as well by just changing up the intensity and um, your recovery time and a few other factors. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff can be figured out with trial and error, yeah. right? So you can go to your doctor every few months and continually check blood and try something and see what happens and try something and see what happens. Or you can speed up the process and mm-hmm. have an understanding as to what you're most likely going to see mm-hmm. beforehand so that you don't have to put somebody on a ketogenic diet to find out that it doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. or that So you don't have to try a different workout regimen that's not going to work for them because they can't recover as well as another person. So it just really, it speeds up the process and allows you to get really granular really early on with your patients as opposed to having to continually sort of rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say I think it's important to have some humility around this as well. It's not uh, perfect medicine, it's precision medicine. So we'll never be perfect with recommendations, but if we can just kind of uh, decrease that cycle time. So for example, we will give recommendations based on all of that data, mm-hmm. but we want to be very upfront too that people are are complicated. Mm-hmm. So when we set goals with patients, we want to accomplish this. We think this is the best way to get there, but then we want to set up objective markers of, okay, this is what success is. This is how we're going to define it. And so at six weeks or however long, we're going to check these markers and see. So it still is that iterative process and the relationship is really important longitudinally, mm-hmm. but we think it really shortcuts the process to getting to optimization. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love how it speeds up the process and uses the information that we have. Like we know there's still so much we don't know, but let's use everything that we have at our disposal to try to get you where you want to be faster. Can you talk about what it would be like to go through, which I'm going to do soon, but what it is like for a patient to go through the process um, of, you know, becoming a wild health patient and then um, the the health score that you've developed too. Yeah. So 
Um, when we first started doing this, we were we were really excited because we were getting really great results. So uh, Mike and I had good results personally. Um, our friends and family were our first patients. Um, my mother, for example, uh, my grandmother has has uh, Alzheimer's, and we tested my mother. She has genetics to put her at risk, and she also has some issues with insulin resistance and other things. And so we put her on the program. She lost forty pounds in a couple of months. Her insulin resistance reversed. She um, felt like she said she felt like she was twenty years younger. So we were getting these results, mm-hmm. but the problem was that it was very difficult. So to take all of that data, the DNA, the blood work, the microbiome, we would be seeing patients. We would have hundreds of pages uh, laying out in front of us mm-hmm. and coming up with a program. And that wasn't uh, scalable at all. Mm-hmm. It just took too much time, 10 hours of prep work before yeah. an appointment. So we immediately started trying to figure out how we can change this and make it to where we can do this for anyone. Because if it takes that much physician time, it's going to be cost prohibitive, mm-hmm. and you can only do it for a small amount of population. And at first, our, our patients were our friends and family, and then like CEOs and pro athletes who could afford it. So we started focusing on automating it as much as we can, taking a lot of the manual work out. Mm-hmm. So Mike specifically started working with, we, we hired the lady who started the data informatics program for Humana, some other data scientists, PhDs, software developers. And over the course of over a year, we devoted a lot of resources and we created a product that would automate it and streamline quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So that's where the health score comes in. Mm -hmm. So as part of the process now, uh, every patient we see, we get all the data, we come up with a plan, and we also tell them where they are right now. Mm -hmm. So we'll give an objective measure, not just how do you feel, what are your goals, but out of 100, we kind of consider you here Mm -hmm. based on the, 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 the core measures of health, your insulin resistance, your sleep. Um, your cardiovascular risk, the things that we really look at. And then based on that score, where you're deficient or what you need to do better on, mm-hmm. we start helping you with that process. We partner with you on the process to improve those things. Mm-hmm. And then we slowly take that score up until eventually we get to a point where someone is close enough to optimize that we really start getting specific. Like, what do you want to focus on now? Do you want to focus on athletic optimization, on brain optimization, longevity, what do you want to focus on then? So that's how we use that score and kind of the, the report and the software program. We really want to get to a sense of community and health, mm-hmm. which is something that I think that healthcare has been lacking in. You know, it's this very stale process of you go see your doctor and it's, you know, this this white, you know, examination room and there's there's no one with you. You know, sometimes maybe you have a family member, but mm-hmm. there's no there's no sense of community. There's no development of relationships. Mm-hmm. And we want to try to tap into that community that CrossFit found in some ways and kind of bring it to healthcare, mm-hmm. right? So why not have Maybe a little competition. Maybe you see what your health score is compared to yeah. your colleague, right? You know, like I can, your Excel spreadsheet. Right. I mean, like, yeah. you know, Matt doesn't want me to say it right now, but my health score is two points higher than his, you know? And I mean, I hate to say it, but it's true. But now he's more motivated to get his little higher. Now he's going to, now it's going to be three, now he's going to be one point higher than me because he's going to start working higher against more sleep. Yeah, I'm going to some burpees right now. I, I think that, uh, I think that there's, there's a great opportunity to look at, look at health in a different way, to look at it as something that we can talk about in public mm-hmm. and, and communicate with and have fun with and play with. And that's, that's what we want to bring to it. And I think that's where we're going to take the health score is to a little bit of competition, a little bit of community and kind of, and, and see if we can't gamify health mm-hmm. in a way that gets people more, more excited and more, more integrated with their own health. And if you're not into competition, it's motivation right. as well. Uh, it's motivation and an objective measure. So, you know, how you know, because a lot of times it's hard to tell over time the progress you're really making, and this is a good way to, mm-hmm. to keep patients motivated, to, to mm-hmm. tell you where you are objectively. 
uh, in the process. Everybody's on, on this kind of continuum and they're, they're try, striving yeah. towards the same thing, but we want to tell them where they are on the tracks. And something doctors, I mean, doctors know where their patients fall. Like mm-hmm. you see a patient in the exam, examination room, like you know how they compare to your other patients, but they don't know that. Mm-hmm. And if they did know that, would that then help motivate them to act more? And I think, mm-hmm. I think the answer is yes. Yeah. And even just appreciating the progress they've made. I know sometimes people get frustrated that they're not making more progress, but the score gives you a chance to say, hey, here's where you were three months ago. Like we're moving in the right direction. Let's keep working on it. Um, I also like about the optimization score, the fact that it really does focus on the basics first, because I think a lot of times people can get very caught up in the fanciest new trend or the newest thing without first addressing the sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress, all those sort of things. And so I think that also is is a great way to help people get those things in line first and then start adding the other things that might have more incremental benefits. Yeah, people all the time uh, come to us and they want to do the really sexy thing like mm-hmm. stem cells and peptides and hormone optimization and all mm-hmm. those things. And we're nerds, like we're happy to do that yeah. stuff, but we I think it is a waste of time and maybe counterproductive to, to start talking about those things if someone is not sleeping adequately Mm -hmm. if they're not eating well they're not exercising so we really have to cover the basics first and then once people have you know a good health score with those basics then you guys also have tracks so they people can go do deep dives in specific areas can you talk a little bit about those yeah for sure so we've got (laughs) we've got uh six different tracks right now Uh and like constantly expanding but we found that certain people really want to focus on specific things. Like some people want to lose weight or maybe gain weight, or some people want to, you know, optimize their brain and be as quick as they possibly can or help fend off dementia. Mm -hmm. So there's all these different areas that people have a lot of interest in. So we tried to create these tracks so that they could spend some, some time really hyper-focused on that with their health coach and with their, with their physician to help them optimize that area. So if it's losing weight, great. If it's, you know, biohacking and playing around with the newest wearable device, then we're happy to be here and help you with that and help you figure out how to get a CGM and interpret the data. Um, so we were just trying to create these different tracks that people could go on and, and spend time in whatever they're most interested in. And I like too that you can focus on one area because there's, there's so many things. Sometimes it can be overwhelming to think about all the things you can do, but just to focus on one thing and then have the option to, to keep going through the different tracks. Yeah. And, and we like to help people figure out what that one thing is sometimes. Like, yep. like we want to do what, what is someone's goal. But mm-hmm. for example, a lot of times we get people come to us, like I mentioned earlier, they're like the pro athletes and the CEOs, and they always want the brain optimization or athletic optimization. But a lot of times what we find is you really need to be in our mindfulness track. Mm-hmm. You need to learn to meditate and, and yeah. focus on that. Yeah. Um, and um, we get uh, an NBA player who's a patient. He, uh, came to us and um, he was sleeping like three hours a night. Wow. So no, we're not going to talk about any of the advanced <laughs> yeah. until you're sleeping. And you and you can show patients things like, hey, you've seen the Stanford University study where they randomized their basketball team to getting a certain amount of sleep or not. And free throw percentage goes up 9%. A three-point percentage goes up 9%. Mm-hmm. And then you, you start giving getting those basics right and everything else gets easier and you may not need the advanced mm-hmm. biohacking things or just learning to meditate and like i said the mindfulness track is probably everybody that we see if we could get them to do the mindfulness we should track all first, do that yeah yeah start <laughs> everybody on that first and right. then everything else comes later right like if you get everybody to sleep and do mindfulness like that'd be a great place to start from yeah. that's very true the also the other thing that i really like is um how closely that your patients work with health coaches and i think that's super important too because Again, there's so much information, but it's a lot to 
kind of sort through and try to put into practice. And there's so many tools out there. I know you guys use a lot of different devices and different things so that we can track um, data, but can you talk about the involvement of health coaches and what that looks like from a patient's perspective? Yeah, the health coach is critically important. Honestly, if I, I think the health coach is more important than the physician, honestly. I mean, we as a physician, we can come up with a great plan with you with all the data, but it's worthless if we don't implement it. And the health coaches are really important when it comes to motivation and and just translation as well. Um, we may say things like um, decrease certain types of fats, but if, they don't, if someone doesn't know what those what is what kind of foods those fats mm-hmm. are in it's not very helpful so the health coaches is, is critically important and the health coaches too follow along like for example pretty much all of our patients get an ordering so this mm-hmm. is like probably the favorite possession i own but mm-hmm. so our patients will get an ordering they share their ordering data mm-hmm. with their health coaches or the health coach sees every night how much sleep they've had how much deep sleep REM sleep their entire sleep architecture mm-hmm. and then they can really dial in and say Sure, there are 50 things that we could do in general to improve sleep, but based on your data and your genetics and where you are in your lifestyle, mm-hmm. try this first and then this and then this. And you can set up these end of one experiments to really get to the point of optimization. Mm-hmm. They can also keep you in check too. So yeah. not only can they look at your orbiting data, but they can also text you in the morning after a Saturday night when you stayed up too late having <laughs> one too many beers, right? Yeah. So they can they can be that sort of that source of encouragement mm-hmm. is one way to put it, I guess, to keep you on track and make sure you're doing things right. So your CGM data spikes and they can be texting you asking like, hey, why was your CGM elevated last night? What would mm-hmm. you eat? You know, there's, there's, <laughs> Some there's accountability a lot of, there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that accountability is important. And, um, you know, obviously you can't really expect to have that close relationship with your physician on a regular basis, but that's mm-hmm. exactly what the health coach is for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all need that. And they're also, I've been so impressed by how smart all of your health coaches are and how much they know about all of these things, all of the lifestyle factors, but also all of the genetics. And they can really help um, kind of put it all together for the patients too. Sometimes I'm jealous of our health coaches because <laughs> we, have, we have a large group of doctors, different specialties and things that they work with. And so they get to work with all the different positions. Uh, and so they pick up little different things from, from mm-hmm. different ones. So I sometimes will like to listen in when they're talking to <laughs> yeah. somebody and say, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to try that yeah. with my patient. So, it, so I think they get a really nice um, breadth of information by, by just working with different physicians and different people. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to talk about the fellowship that you have because now you've kind of, I mean, over, over what period of time? When did you start Wild Health? A few years ago um, is when we started, and mm-hmm. we very quickly realized, like I said, that we needed to autom- automate this mm-hmm. and create the software program. We also realized that no matter how automated it was, um, people get it. Like when we talk about this, people understand it's a better way to practice, and we there were more patients than we could see. Mm-hmm. So we started training friends of ours and others who were interested, mm-hmm. uh, and we realized we needed a formal process because when we started learning this, there was no way to formally learn what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We had to just kind of put it all together and really just study like crazy and just get all these different sources. Mm-hmm. So with the fellowship, we have an organized program to be able to train providers, either health coaches or other physicians, mm-hmm. in how to apply and, and use this type of med- medicine. And then when they get out, then they have the software tool as well to be able to help them do it. So it's a 12-month mm-hmm. program. The first six months are mainly didactics, education. You're on your own. You're watching video content. Once a week, we have... Um, a weekly Zoom meeting where it's more like a mastermind where we'll go over the content or we'll have real patient case studies. We'll, we'll show real patients in real time. They can ask questions of the patients. We'll have mm-hmm. guest lectures. And then the last six months is them actually seeing patients 
and us shadowing them. So in the first six months, they also will shadow. Mm-hmm. They can do it virtually. Most of our patients are virtual mm-hmm. where they can come and shadow in person. In the last six months, is really us shadowing them and making sure they know how to apply the science. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think the last six months is so valuable and what you don't get in a lot of other programs, whether it's, you know, like functional medicine or any other program that you can do online or conferences you can go to, you can learn so much about these topics, but it's really about how you implement it that, that that's actually going to have the impact. So exactly. that's really valuable. Reps. Like you, you have mm-hmm. to practice and have to do it a little while before you really get mm-hmm. the hang of it. Mm-hmm. What would you say um, is, so at some point you you guys decided, okay, we're going to go all in on wild health and we're going to, I know you still both work in the ER occasionally, but you're pretty much all in on wild health. What was that sort of tipping point for you then? And then starting from where you are now, what do you see as sort of the future vision for where you're going? Yeah, pretty quickly, we knew we wanted to go all in. Now, we, I would do like maybe one to two ER shifts a month. And it's that we trained in that. We we still do enjoy that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we enjoy this way more. We think Mm -hmm. this is going to have a bigger impact on the world. So I don't know when we'll completely quit because we just really enjoy that maybe mm-hmm. one shift a month for forever um the future i mean we think that this is the future of medicine mm-hmm. we hope that uh, physicians and other providers come and learn this and people who are much smarter than us and even take it to the next level we just think this is a better way to practice medicine so we're doing everything we can to push it forward to keep talking about it and to bring as many people in as we can we think that um this is a revolution and we're looking mm-hmm. for fellow revolutionaries who want to join and practice this way. And then as mm-hmm. soon as we have a critical mass of that, I mean, I think just traditional medicine, watch out. Yeah. We're coming <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah. I agree we're with that. sky's the limit. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the moment where I realized that I wanted to do this full time was the first time I did it, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, even probably, probably even way back to that first time we kind of had that aha moment that right. this was even a possibility mm-hmm. that I've been practicing medicine blind for, for 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's, that was the moment where I was like, this is, this is where it's at. Yeah. Everybody's like, going to be doing this in five years. Once you see it, you can't really unsee it. Like, yeah. Everything else just doesn't make sense anymore. And I think I have so much um, confidence that a lot of the people coming up now through med school and residency, like get that. And I think that, all of us together are going to force the system to have to change. I think so, we're going to have to because yeah. nobody else is going to do it. Yeah. Well, I always ask three questions at the end. So you guys get to answer these. The first one is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? I mean, I'd like to think of something really creative. <laughs> um, Usually they're simple is better. <laughs> it, it, it is. I mean, the, I can never answer that with anything other than sleep as the number one. I mean, mm-hmm. in my life at times when, when I've not paid attention to sleep mm-hmm. and recovery, I've not done very well. And when I do everything else, I, I feel I think of sleep as um, really the biggest lever we have to pull and it makes everything else better. It makes mm-hmm. your it makes your diet better because you make more better decisions around diet. Mm-hmm. It makes your diet better because even if you eat the same thing, you respond to the food differently. It makes your workouts better because if you don't rest and recover, you're not going to get any of the gains. It also makes you less likely to get injured. Mm-hmm. So sleep is really number one. And, and then a close second, uh, to me at least, is some sort of mindfulness practice is very similar to sleep. But the more I'm able to be mindful and have a mindfulness practice and some meditation throughout the day is really important. And 
I mean, I've always been obsessed with exercise as well. So it's really sleep, mindfulness, and exercise are the three things that have mm-hmm. the biggest positive impact on me. Those are good ones. And for sleep, you said you use the ring. Is there like certain things that have really helped your sleep or is just protecting that time for it? Yeah, for sure. So um, again, like with our patients, what we, what we do is we look at genetics, we look at the sleep data, and then we design experiments. So that's what I did. So for me, the things that have made the biggest difference are, so I have a FAH, a fatty acid amide hydrolase SNP mm-hmm. that makes CBD probably helpful for sleep. And CBD, I got a big bump in my deep sleep. Mm. Also temperature, um, a, a chili pad, the newer version, which is called an Uller, mm-hmm. that made a massive difference in my sleep. Mm-hmm. And just being in a dark place. So I, have a, I live in the woods now and our new house, which is in the woods without mm-hmm. really any artificial light has made a big difference. Those three things. And, and mm-hmm. before we moved to our house in the woods, I had eye shades, which made a big difference. But mm-hmm. and I've tried so many other things, different molecules or compounds mm-hmm. or other hacks, but really those three basic things made the biggest mm-hmm. difference in my sleep. And I love what you said about using the O-ring to track it and doing the experiment. So you always know objectively, is this actually having an impact? Because otherwise you can do a million different things and then you just get lost. Yeah, we can look at someone's data and pretty mm-hmm. reliably. I mean, if they're not getting enough REM sleep, then my first question is, do you wake up with an alarm? And it's almost always yes, because you get that REM sleep in the last Bent. half of the night. If you're not getting enough deep sleep, what time do you go to bed? So going to bed at 11, I said, what time does it get dark where you are? It's 6.30 this time mm-hmm. of year. Well, do you understand how off ancestrally that is? So just looking at that data really allows us to ask the right questions as mm-hmm. well. Cool. And then, sorry, I'm going to ask you about all these things. Um, for the mindfulness, what has been the, the or do you, can you describe your mindfulness practice or what has been something that has been really helpful for you there? Yeah, I am still working on that. So that did not come easy to me, but just um, having a, a sitting practice. Uh, and it, for me, it has to come in little blocks. Like I can't imagine like blocking an hour off mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I frequently... When I, I can't imagine time. you sitting still for an hour. <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, just sitting still for this long, I feel like I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm starting to ache a little bit just sitting this long. I'm thinking yeah. how uncomfortable these chairs are. And you, like, do some, some sort of like squat or something. Um, but just getting five minutes, just, just um, putting the headphones on and noise canceling headphones and just setting the alarm for mm-hmm. five minutes on the phone and taking that time just to focus on the breath. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. It's that simple. Just focusing on the breath for five minutes with eyes closed, mm-hmm. with headphones on makes a really big difference. And it's actually been cool recently. Mike and I have both been playing with a new device. It's uh, called a LEAF, L-I-E-F. Mm. It's a heart rate variability, variability okay. monitor. And it's amazing how much you can increase your heart rate variability just by that focusing on the breath wow. for a couple of minutes. So mm-hmm. we know it makes us feel better and it's important, mm-hmm. but getting that biofeedback has been really interesting to be able to quantify that. Yeah. Just to speak to that for a minute, it's also interesting because it vibrates and tells you when your heart rate variability drops and ah. what it makes you aware of is okay. the sensations of your heart rate variability dropping. So that heart rate variability drops because of an increase in sympathetic tone mm-hmm. or a stress response, mm-hmm. right? So what you start doing is realizing when you feel that stress response, that like pit in your stomach, you know, yeah. that little bit of twisting that you feel when you're kind of having a stress response, that's actually your heart rate variability dropping. So it's like this thing on your chest that kind of zaps you, uh-huh. I mean, in a very gentle yeah. way. Every time you kind of get stressed out and it says, all right, I'm, I'm, I've got some stress hormones going. I need to just stop and take a quick breath. And you take a quick breath and then you sort of like start to break that cycle. So that, wow. that's been really interesting. No, that's quick really breath, cool. Slow breath. Slow Sorry, breath. Right. Very relaxing <laughs> breath. So this is something you wear all the time. Right. Or is it just when you're like just for a meditation? You can you can wear it all the time. Okay. But I think like you kind of have to charge it. So it's kind of during it. the day thing. Oh, during the day. Okay. Yeah. 
But that's interesting because I've used the heart math before, which is really interesting to see that feedback when you're focusing on breathing, but to have it on all the time, I think that's yeah, that's and you know really what really powerful. does it? Mm-hmm. Email. <laughs> Crush on my chest is vibrating the entire time. <laughs> you you learn like uh, what people when you're around decrease. Yeah, yeah. yeah like okay, <laughs> I need to spend less time it. with yeah, you. It's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's fascinating. Okay, cool. And then exercise you talked about, and you talked about too how you've changed and modified your exercise based on understanding your genetics and the needs that you have for recovery. Um, and so now you do mostly like hit style, CrossFit style workouts, correct? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, and it's also just kind of a factor. I have four children, so I don't <laughs> have time for a three-hour bike ride. Yeah. And so um, I need to be efficient with my time. Mm-hmm. And it's just that's where you get all the bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a 20-minute, like the EMOM we did last night, mm-hmm. we didn't have much time. In 20 minutes of that, I always, personally, I feel like I get as much or more benefit than an hour to two hours. And I don't have all the the chronic pain and the soreness as much. I, I do focus on some strength and then mainly hit and trying to make sure I get enough recovery. That's always the biggest thing for me. That was 25 okay. minutes, by the way. Give yourself some credit. Was. Yeah, remember, we did five be, rounds. <laughs> well, I thought it was going to be 20 and then we had another round. So I know. I thought I was round. on the same page as you. I thought we had four rounds. I was going so hard in the fourth round. I was so excited to be done. Well, I didn't take a break between the last two sets. <laughs> yeah. Of the, I'm crushing. I'm going Just, all I know. I saw you got on the rower and you were like going. Yeah. But we did five. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> We're a lot. Just saying. Um, but Mike, what what about for you? What would you say would be the three things you do regularly that have the biggest positive impact on your health? I mean, number one is exercise for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, it's changed my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I went from being an obese kid and twenty year old to um, healthy and feeling good about myself, and it also introduced me to medicine. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's life changing. Yeah, in a lot I of mean, ways. Hundred yeah. percent exercise has to be, has to be number one. Can well, we post that picture that you showed me last no. night? On the <laughs> what was it that clicked for you that like? you wanted to start exercising? I don't know. You don't know. I was, I was just, I was sick of being out of shape and, um, and unfit and, and overweight. Mm-hmm. And I tried lots of different diets and nothing ever really worked. Um, I did, I, I did actually do the Atkins diet for a brief period when mm-hmm. I was, um, like I think at a freshman in college and I lost like 20 pounds and then gained back 30 in a, in a couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, it, nothing ever quite worked. And I just got to some point where something clicked. I, I wish I could explain it better. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I've got to change how I live my life. Mm-hmm. And I started working out and, and got, I may be a little too obsessive about it, honestly, like early on. And, and I've probably spent the last 20 years of my life trying to dial that back a little <laughs> bit and try to, try to bring some, some more balance yeah. into my life. But, but it was that, it was that, that creation of that obsession that, mm-hmm. that allowed me to sort of have all the positive gains from it. I mean, the, the mental, the physical aspects, as well as the life direction mm-hmm. and, and the enjoyment that I find in it. That's Do you sweet. exercise, Julie? Once in a while, only when I'm around you guys. <laughs> and um, and we talked about last night. You started doing CrossFit in 2007, so really early on. Yep. Um, and what um, what does your workout routine look like now? You said you have a garage gym. What do you usually do? Uh, I usually do hit. Mm-hmm. Hit stuff. I mean, it's very, very similar to what you would find in a CrossFit box. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of like combination, you know, power lifting and rowing and concept two bike and mm-hmm. ski erg and kettlebells and 
you know, wall ball. I mean, all, all the stuff all the that you're CrossFit, used to yep. used to doing in a CrossFit mm-hmm. box is what I, I do for myself and program for myself. And I find way too much enjoyment in programming that stuff for <laughs> myself and finding the most painful possible workout that I can that I can create and then texting it to my friends and, and telling them that they should try it. Um, so it, that's a that's a it's still a big part of my life. And I, mm-hmm. and I miss I do miss the community, especially during these COVID times mm-hmm. and, and spending time with other people like that. Mm-hmm. But um, but it, it has, it's so convenient to have in your garage. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or didn't I? Definitely. I have found that as well. Okay. So exercise number one, what about two more? So the other two, the other two are fairly recent actually. Um, and it's, it's all about the way I've, I've changed my morning routine. So used to be kind of like late to bed, Mm -hmm. you know, wake up right before I got to do whatever I'm going to do. And then like, you know, scarf down some food and go, go do what, go do my thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I've started going to bed earlier and waking up with at least an hour in the morning before I have anything to do. And the two things I do during that hour are the first thing is I, I go make coffee and I bring my wife coffee in bed and we sit in bed for 30 minutes and we drink coffee and talk. That's awesome. And, and we just, we just talk. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes we got tons of things to talk about and sometimes mm-hmm. like we just kind of sit there and stare at one another, right? <laughs> but, but it's a time without our children there that yeah. we get to work on our relationship and, and remind ourselves mm-hmm. that we are connected to one another. And that has been the, probably the single greatest thing that we've done for one another. That and, is amazing. Throughout our entire adult lives. Um, and then immediately after that, that 30 minutes, I go sit down and I meditate for 30 minutes mm-hmm. and I've been hardcore consistent with that. And, um, and that has, that, that has without a, without a doubt changed my life almost as much as exercise has. Um, it's, and, and I'll, and another, just kind of like the, what clicked, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, mm-hmm. but, um, but it changes who you are and it changes how you see, see things. And it gives you a space that you don't think you realized was there beforehand. Mm-hmm. So I can't speak highly enough about, about meditation and my, and a regular mindfulness practice. That's amazing. I'm, I'm just really upset that he doesn't bring me coffee when he's staying with me, <laughs> visiting. Come on. You could stare at him for 30 minutes when you wake <laughs> yeah, up. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't do that for 30 minutes. Like 30 seconds. <laughs> that is so great. Um, and do you have a specific meditation practice, like a way that you found su- that's worked super, for you? Super boring. I've read a lot about different types of meditation. I've mm-hmm. tried a lot, a lot of different types. And what I've found that seems to work for me the best is just the breath. Mm -hmm. So quiet, no background noise, no, no guidance, anything like Mm -hmm. that. I just sit, um, actually really bad at sitting crisscross applesauce. So I've been working on that too, but (laughs) helping your flexibility. Yeah. Working on my, I'm working on my flexibility a little bit. I'm working on, and, uh, so, so slowly getting better at that, but just sit there and I, and I literally just focus on the sensation of the breath at the tip of the nose. And, um, and what I think anyone who's ever meditated before realizes is that is it, ridiculously hard once you get started. And then as you get better at it, then that comes with it, all the advantages of meditation. And then something, a different experience starts to happen and you start to get these insights that you otherwise wouldn't get. Um, and so it's, it's really very basic and very simple and doesn't sound all that interesting at all, mm-hmm. but the outcome is what the interesting part is. That's awesome. All right. Next question is, what is one thing that you think would have a big impact, but you have a hard time doing or you haven't something you're working on? I feel like you guys have, have tried to spout everything, but there's got to be something. You get to go first. This or what time. your next Dang. what your next experiment is going to be. <laughs> something that I think would have an impact, but I'm having a hard time working on. I mean, for for me, <laughs> the thing is, it had a big impact, which is the meditation. I still feel like listening to Mike talk mm-hmm. about his thirty minutes. I don't do that. Like I, um, I think I need to spend more time doing that, and I get a little bit of. 
like palpitations thinking about that. <laughs> like I, I hear people a lot of times on podcasts and other places talk about like two hours of meditation mm-hmm. a day. And um, I can't, I, I feel like there would be tremendous benefits to that, but I just can't do it or, or can't get yeah. there, which makes me think I should probably try even harder. And it's that much more important. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think doing better on those things that, that have had a big impact so mm-hmm. far. I think I've probably got some room to work on diet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I take the easy way out on the diet sometimes and just like convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there's probably a lot of opportunity for improvement, improvement there. And it's hard, you know, like mm-hmm. we live in a, we live in a society that's not conducive to, to taking care of yourself with food. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's the, like the, the healthy food is often, you know, harder to find, more expensive, inconvenient, um, not, you know, not locally sourced. <laughs> so it's, it, it's just like barrier after barrier after yeah. barrier for, to make the right decision to put the right food in your body. And, um, you know, we recently started a garden, which I think was a big, mm-hmm. a, a big upsell for us, you know, like yeah. finally like you know, access to like some, some quality food. Um, so that's been good, but, but still I, I find myself making, making, you know, mediocre decisions with diet a lot of the time. And we didn't talk about this earlier, but your both of your diets look very different because of your genetics. Can you just talk about that, like what the genetics were, and then why you eat differently, and what impact that's had? That was the best part about the <laughs> little experiment where we did, where we had to eat the same food, is that we had the ability to control what the other person had to eat. So, like, I immediately went for an apple and made Matt eat an apple, which totally made him feel terrible. Yeah, I think our diets could be described as more plant based and more animal based. Okay, um, yeah. and so. Uh, with my genetics, I can eat as much saturated fat and animal products as I want, and my cholesterol mm-hmm. stays perfect. Mm-hmm. It, it's really fine. I have no negative effects from that, and, and Mike is the opposite. Um, and so I generally think of like animals as food and plants as medicine mm-hmm. uh, more, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a little more sparing, and, and Mike is probably the opposite of that with those ratios. I eat a little fish, but mostly just, just eat plants and veggies, mm-hmm. a little bit of dairy here and there. Mm-hmm. He's an herbivore. Excellent. With, with fish. <laughs> with fish. <laughs> <laughs> Plus fish. All right. My last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? To me, a healthy life, I think it looks like uh, being able to do anything you want to do physically, like being capable mm-hmm. of it. Um, I mean, it, some people want to compete in the mm-hmm. CrossFit games or Ironman. Other people don't. But even those people that don't, they still want to be able to play with their grandchildren when they're, or their mm-hmm. great, great grandchildren when they're in their eighties or nineties. So it's, it's different for every person, but it's being able to do what you want to do physically for as long as you want to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think how would I would define a healthy lifestyle and how you get there. There's tons of those components and uh, all the things that we talked about, but I think that's what a healthy life, the outcome of it looks like to me. Mm-hmm. I'm it. trying to think of something, how I can describe it very simply. I think balance mm-hmm. is probably the the best like term that I can come up with to help describe it because I think we're we get so focused on all of these extremes in so many mm-hmm. different directions like carnivore diet or you know extremely vegan mm-hmm. or like there's just there's just all of these giant extremes that people feel like they have to hit that extreme or they're not mm-hmm. being healthy and um and it creates these polarizing ideas and viewpoints and reality I think it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think what the type of medicine that we're practicing right now proves that, right? So finding some balance in how you live your life is probably the healthiest way to live your life. And I probably should omit the word being able to physically do, because I think just doing what you want to do with the people you love mm-hmm. is the most important thing. And I think a lot of people, some people are held back by physical limitations of their health and other people by mental and emotional limitations. Mm-hmm. And those things are just as important. Mm-hmm. So having the physical, emotional, um, 
health and mental health to be able to do what you want to do with the people you love for as long as possible. I love it. So when I was on your podcast, you asked me what pursuing health means or where did I get the name? So can you guys now answer where did wild health come from? Why is it called wild health? Yeah. So um, it really refers to two things, which most people think of as very different things, but um, we think they're both equally important. So genomics and a lot of the biohacking and, and cutting edge stuff we're doing it a lot of people in traditional medicine would consider that kind of wild and mm-hmm. out there. Uh, so that's part of the wild. But then the other part of the wild is the wilderness and nature. Mm-hmm. You think 90% of what people need for optimal health, those things, the way I described it, is just found in nature. Mm-hmm. We would just live a little more according to ancestral ways mm-hmm. and being in nature. If we could, could combine those two, that's how we think we kind of get to optimal health. So mm-hmm. the two meanings of wild. And we, and we have been really focused on the technology part but we're actually getting ready to try to make a real move towards the wild part as far as nature as mm-hmm. well with our practice. Like we have the wild health podcast mm-hmm. where we talk about a lot of things like a, a recent podcast on CGMs with Dom Diagostino. And we talked to um, people like David Sinclair who wrote Lifespan and, and we just recorded a podcast yesterday with Ben Greenfield. So we, we talk about a lot of the biohacking and cutting mm-hmm. edge stuff, but we're starting to really get into nature. So we had, um, I just had a conversation a few hours ago with Daniel Vitalis mm. from the Wild Fed podcast. So we're going to do a, a course that he'll come to um, this spring as well and do like a two-day course uh, on wild, like wild crafting skills wow. or ancient technologies or mm-hmm. appropriate technologies, how to start a fire, how to forage cool. for food, how to hunt, things like that. We're really going to start focusing on that part a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. And we um, here at your... Um, headquarters. Well, I guess is this your headquarters sure. <laughs> in yeah. Lexington? Your office here, this <laughs> podcast studio and farmhouse. We're actually on a farm, like where you have a castle as well, and there is tons of fresh food and animals and horses running around, and it seems very appropriate to be called Wild Health. <laughs> yeah, we have horses on the other side of the wall, right yeah. over there, right past the barrel sauna. Yeah, and, yeah, we have goats <laughs> and chickens and bees and yeah. a massive organic garden, and so we do. We want to show people those things mm-hmm. as well and teach people where their food comes from. It doesn't come from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, be able to show people that. That's awesome. All right. Well, this has been wonderful. We know you have the Wild Health Podcast, so people can find you there and listen. Um, where else can people learn more about your practice or if they're interested in the fellowship? Yeah, really at wildhealth.com. So there, if you want to be a patient, you can sign up. Um, there's a link there to the fellowship. Mm-hmm. If providers want to learn more, we'll do courses. Should we put Julie on the spot and ask her to do the athletic optimization? Yeah, right now. Yeah, do it right now. So I'm we, in. Whatever. All right, good. So next spring we'll we'll nail down a date in kind of April May time frame. But uh-huh. uh, actually, when Daniel Vitalis and um, so there are several other names I can't name yet. When we do the wild thing, mm-hmm. we want to combine that with some of the the other wild. Mm-hmm. So we're, we'd like to do an athletic optimization one day course, then oh, followed cool. by two days kind of in the wilderness. We have this. Two hundred twelve acre ex girl ex Girl Scouts camp with all these cabins and a lake. We're going to do that. So you're you committed? I'm I'm in. Should we also should we also do a superhuman challenge while we're in the wilderness? I think that's what's a superhuman challenge. Superhuman challenge. Oh, the workout that you just said? No. Oh, not quite like that. that? Yeah. What was that workout that you? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There was a workout had a weird funny name that you said. You have to sign up for the course and come to figure out what the superhuman challenge is. Oh, okay. Since I don't know what it is either. All right. Well, I guess I just volunteered myself for all of it. Okay, great. Um, and then wildhealth.com is where they can find out about fellowship, 
patients, all that kind That's of stuff. That's where everything is. Yeah, Perfect. and then uh, at Wild Health MD on Instagram and Twitter too. Perfect. Very cool. And we'll link to all of this, of course. So thank you guys so much for chatting. I'm excited to see what you continue to do. Thanks so much. It's a ton of fun. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, I will recap my three biggest takeaways from the conversation. And there was a ton here as always. My first takeaway was about how the future of medicine really is personal. Even though there is a ton that we can all do through lifestyle to improve our health, we're each starting from a slightly different place because we have different DNA. Understanding where we're starting from and using this to inform a personalized approach can really decrease the number of iterations needed to find the optimal diet, exercise, and other lifestyle factors that get us where we want to be faster. My second takeaway was about getting the basics in place first. This is so key, and I love the approach that Matt and Mike are taking with their health score. This score ensures that each patient focuses on getting the big lifestyle pieces in place first. So eating real food, getting enough sleep, exercising regularly, practicing relaxation, getting all those things in place first before moving forward to refine the details. And the health score gives each patient an objective benchmark for where they're at and what to focus on in order to get where they want to be. My third takeaway was about how we really are all in this together. I love Matt and Mike's passion for bringing this type of medicine to the masses. If we want to change the health of our population and the way health is delivered in our country and the world, we have to break out of the mold. It starts with each one of us working together and their energy for a revolution in medicine is contagious. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation and had some great takeaways as well. 